So this is part two of the interview with Jason Camisa. The first one ran a little bit long, so this is part two. Uh, we left off talking about reviews, and uh, Horacio asked Jason about his favorite BMW reviews that he's ever done. Since you mentioned reviews, Jason, I'm going to ask you something that just came up to my mind because I, I, I do get asked this question, and I used to ask this question you know, early like in the day when I started doing this. When you review a car and you're not the customer for that car, so I'll give like one example. I'm not a seven series customer. I'll probably never own a seven series because I I'm, I don't identify myself with with the car. I'll rather get a M5 for uh, for example. How do right. you get into that mindset, you know, to be objective to review that car if you're not the customer? That's a really good question. Um, I consider that part of my job. A, I'm a bit actor. I'm an actor. I have to go and study the people who buy these cars and and study how old they are and what they're doing and what's important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, really important because otherwise you wind up saying, I'm gonna give the win on this minivan comparison to the Honda Odyssey because it has less understeer and it lift off oversteers and that's fucking rad. Um, <laughs> you know, no one who's buying a Honda Odyssey cares about lift off oversteer, right? They just don't. Um, in the same way sure. that I, they, they probably should. And actually, I'm not kidding. They do lift off oversteer, especially on the road. <laughs> you can drift <laughs> around. Not that I would ever do that because that would be irresponsible. Um, <laughs> it was a long-term, long-term automobile. <laughs> we had it. We all... <laughs> anyway, um, we're, it's a bit after. So who is the customer for this car? And a lot of times the marketing, the marketing guys within the car company will give you that information in, uh, in, like product, like product planning discussions when, when they're giving us presentations. And a lot of time it's just something you need to understand. Like the average age of the customer is 67 years old. All right. Can a 67 year old figure out how to, you know, the difference between an iMessage and a text message on their iPhone? No. Well, then they're sure as hell not going to be able to figure out how to find something 62 screens down in an iDrive system yeah. while they're doing 41 miles an hour in the fast lane on the, on the freeway. Um, you know, you, you really have to start thinking about what is important to the buyer. Um, and that is research. That is understanding who these people are and talking to people who actually buy these cars in the real world and asking them. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I stopped. I've stopped people on the, on the road and like, how do you like your 7 Series? Like, what do you think about it? Um, and, you know, no one, not, not one of them have ever said, Oh, you know, I really love its limit handling. I love that it like goes <laughs> initial, I like turn in understeer and then it goes neutral. And then you could just, that diff is just amazing at, they don't care. So, so, the, so what is important to them? Well, I kind of like that, you know, the seats are really comfortable and that it's quiet and smooth. And, and I like the tech features, but you know, that's, that's what's important to them. And so we as enthusiasts, journalists can and should mention the limit handling stuff and you know, praise BMW for making a seven series and actually does turn. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not really what's important to the buyers. Yeah. Um, and so I study that. I study that a lot. And then, of course, you know, then I, then I say, this is what the customer cares about, but this is what the customer should care about. <laughs> right now, the differentiator between all cars is in-car tech, right? No one gives a, a hoot about anything other than, you know, does it have Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, can I, you know, can I just set the, the HVAC controls to 70 degrees on auto, never touch anything? And you know, BMW wins on tech in, in my book in so many ways just because of those eight macro buttons, the macro memory buttons that are on the, on the dashboard. Yeah. Um, that, that stupid little feature that costs them absolutely you know, pennies to put in these cars is a saving grace for the whole infotainment system. Um, 
And so as much as like, I say, wow, they, they spent $17 billion developing a new three series. Uh, but the one thing that's important is these stupid 38 cent row of buttons. I have to point that out because yeah. that's what the customers are going to care about. Yeah. So what and then the I can say video review you've ever done. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. The, my, no, it's all good. I'll talk forever. So you have to shut me up. Um, my favorite BMW review that I've Actually, ever done. Let's or? do let's do both non BMW and BMW like uh, any like video reviews. Like I mean, uh, we mentioned before the the podcast started that you know there were people asking about your uh, Alpina B6 with the M6 <laughs> comparison. There was a a cool one that I think you did with uh, Johnny on the Seven uh, Series and the S Class, right? I think that was a kind yeah. of cool one. Yeah. So what so the, so what would you say it's your favorite? So the the three videos that I did were M2, um, and then there, that was an ignition, and then there were a bunch of head-to-heads, which were, one was B6 versus M6, uh, as you mentioned, one was 7 Series versus S-Class, and then Johnny and I did M, it was basically Alpha Julia Quadrifolio versus the world, and that was uh, uh, ATS-V versus uh, C63 AMG versus M3. Um, and <laughs> I got that B6, A6, we, we got, first of all, the best part about this was going in and insisting that the B6 was going to win and having Johnny be like, you are an idiot. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, you're just wrong. You're, an, you're a moron. You don't know what you're talking about. And he was just attacking me. And I'm like, mm-hmm, watch this. And it was just immediate. As soon as he drove the car, he was like, oh my God, better M6 than the M6s. Um, so that was, that was fun for that reason. But then we had Randy drift whichever one was the white one, I don't even remember. We were in the backseat of the car in identical white jackets for some stupid reason. I think it was the LP. <laughs> no, it was the M6. And we had Randy Popes drift us around and it was the best roller coaster ride I've ever been on. Because we're so, I've never been in the backseat of a car other than like the story that I started out with an E30. But like we're three feet behind Randy. He cannot hear us. And we were screaming laughing like two kids. Um, it was that was genuinely like if you go back and watch the video, which I think is now unfortunately all behind the paywall at motortrendondemand.com, but you can get a one month free. So go sign up and watch. We were absolutely hysterical, and I was trying to tell like a funny story about this turkey that flew through a window of a plane that this on this Mercedes launch, and Johnny was cracking up, and then Randy just was driving like a complete unhinged lunatic. Um, <laughs> but but then. Honestly, the, the one that stands out is the M2. Um, it was M2, uh, and I did the most ludicrous, stupid slides I've ever done in any car. And I remember our director, is Anthony Esposito, who I'm still great friends with and I still make videos with, saying, like, I can't believe what you got that car to do. And it was, you know, like, I, I drift a lot. I drive a lot of cars sideways, whatever. I did shit in this car. Sorry about my language. That <laughs> I, it just never, ever didn't, like, I'm always in my head. I'm always really nervous. I don't want to kill a camera guy. I don't want to, I don't want to bend metal. Like, it's a very, the, the videos are a very, very nerve-wracking thing. And that whole shoot on the racetrack um, of me just sliding this thing around, my brain, the anxiety center of my brain was switched completely off. And we just did the most outrageous slides um, at the most outrageous speeds. And the car was just amazing. And so that one was the most fun to produce because the I car was you just... see the hate the, uh, the rev matching on that car. Yeah. This is, this is the problem with that. So let's say I'm a beginner driver. I'm, you know, 20-something years old and I've never had a really fast car or whatever. And mommy and daddy buy me an M2. 
and I'm driving it around and I really don't know what I'm doing, but the computer is doing everything for me. Um, and now I want to show off to my friends and I turn stability control off, right? So this is the first way to get, to get anyone to crash in a you know, 400 horsepower <laughs> rear wheel drive car the, the first time they floor it. But you're introducing two variables at the same time. Now, when I'm downshifting, all of a sudden, the engine isn't going to respond in the same way that I, it, it's not going to blip, right? Right. Um, so if I'm like, go to second gear at idle at 50 miles an hour, and I pop the clutch out as hard as I can, I'm going to create drag on the rear wheels, which is the same effect of pulling e-brake, right? And it's going to throw the car sideways. Um, so not only have I changed the way the powertrain responds, and it no longer covers up me asking the car to throw it sideways on the way into a corner, but then it's removed the stability control to sort it out afterwards. So it's a right. double whammy. And I thought that was so incredibly dangerous for them uh, to, yeah. to tie stability control with auto whipping. Yeah, I now never you're... thought about that for a younger driver. I always thought about it for the enthusiast. Like if you want to turn it off because you like to downshift or rev match yourself, uh, you can't, you lose stability control. But I never thought about for a younger driver, yeah. you know, it, it's, totally throws that extra curveball. I never, but the, I mean, the other thing is even as an, ex, an experienced driver, I, like I said, I slid, slid that car around. I probably went through three sets of rear tires, giggled the whole time, whatever on the street. I have stability control on all the time, yeah. all of the time, because stability control has something you don't, which is four brake pedals. It can control each wheel individually and can do things you just physically cannot with single single brake pedal. And I want that safety net at all times. If there's an evasive maneuver, if I hit ice, you know, or if I hit water and I start to hydroplane and slide, the car can gather it up in ways that I physically am not capable of doing. Um, there is no reason to ever turn off stability control on a public road unless you're drifting around in the snow or the rain or you're hooning, right? But in normal driving, it needs to be on. And the fact that I would never own that car. I, I will not have a car blip throttle for me. And the fact that, sure, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fringe case purist, but BMW should be making cars for, to please people like me and you guys, right? Who are like, we're the nuttiest of all the nuts. Um, and I would literally not buy that car if I couldn't turn that off. And I'm not right. going without stability control. So I think that was a huge... I went on a hell of a rant in that video. <laughs> I heard BMW on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think I said the person who did this needs to be shot and or killed, you know, or like, you know drawn and quartered or something. I, but, right. but I really mean that. That, gets, that was just a dangerous, silly, silly choice. Um, but. Well, I think they heard you because, as far as I know, in the M4, it's in the new one. They you can turn it off in like independently because they even made a video uh, of a, one of their factory drivers or whatever driving the M4 and like you know. Uh, heel and towing and all that stuff mm. uh, with stability control on. So they definitely heard that criticism. I guess it took a, too long, but I, I think they that. heard it. I don't want to keep you too long, but I do have one more question and I'll let Nico ask one more question. That way we can wrap it up so we don't keep you too long. Uh, this one comes actually from a guy that was uh, that was in, in the chat and he was saying that uh, if you could design a BMW, what type of car would you want? A sedan, hatchback, a uh, crossover, an SUV, or even a supercar? Uh, is this why, uh, and why do you look like Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not going to ask you, but I have to now. Oh, that's all good. I, look, I, I love the whole discount Sandler thing. I think it's funny. I don't actually look like him in person. Either. But, well, you know me in person, but on camera, I do. And I, I see it. I get it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly. I enough always that... get John Travolta for me. I'm like, really? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I'm like, which one? The, oh, the old one, which was cool, or the new one? Yeah, no, no the, you don't the want the new I'm one. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that's hilarious. Look, you know, I had never thought about that, but yeah, you could totally do a like you know old school John Travolta um, uh, with an accent, exactly. Um, you're the original, like old school, old country Travolta. Um, <laughs> so, which what BMW would I make? All right, and, and again, this all comes back to what do I think is the when I think BMW, what does this company mean to me? And it's 2002 E30. E46, right? Those are the three cars that I think cemented the reputation. Definitely not 850, definitely not Z8, definitely not even um, like 507 or any of the really early stuff. I think really BMW cemented its reputation somewhere in between 2002 and E21 and E30. Um, that's when the car, the company was really on the map, put on the map. I would do an E30. Uh, I would do a modern E30. And the, the, what bothers me the most about the 2 Series Grand Corolla is that it's just a, a, an insult to the whole brand. I don't mind front-wheel drive cars. I own plenty of front-wheel drive cars. Uh, but that's not why you BM, You don't buy a front-wheel drive four-cylinder transverse BMW to, when you're buying a BMW. You were buying that car because it was had strange, dorky, bathtubby, bulldoggy proportions um, and was a car that that the, the mainstream didn't get. In 1987, I sent my mom to the BMW dealership to go buy a 325i because, because of that whole museum experience with my dad's, uh, with my friend's dad's 325. Um, and, uh, and she came back and she's like, why would I pay $27,000 for this car that's tiny and it, it's got no wood and it's got no leather and it's just kind of a crappy little nothing. Like she didn't get it. She was not the target market for that car. She drove like a maniac. Um, and we had a Saab 900 Turbo that was super hot, and she oh, wanted yeah. buying a Peugeot 505 STX with a V6. Like, so oh, she had cool cars, yeah. but she didn't get it. And I think BMW needs to make a, th a three series that that moms just don't get. Um, so I want a sub sub subcompact. None of this quote unquote compact BS. Where like the current the G20 is bigger than an E38 was. Like it's just stupid now. Um, give me a subcompact. You know, maybe occasionally use backseat. I don't care. Golf, VW Golf size, um, sedan slash formal coupe. So like a you know not not a not a sports car coupe, but like a, a two door sedan like the E30 was, um, with a nat and like naturally aspirated, smooth as silk, high revving engine, uh, manual that just really prioritizes the experience over the luxury and the tech. Um, and I think that would reestablish BMW's credibility and make a lot of people say, you know what, they can keep making as many X7s as they want because they're making this thing um, in the same way that everyone gives Porsche a pass on that, you know, the Pana Ugly and on the <laughs> Cayenne and on the Macan and all the other stuff. Those are great. I mean, for their own, for their own purposes and all, whatever they do they, is fine. But Porsche can get a pass on whatever it does because it makes a 911 GT3. Um, but do you think BMW and, needs a, a supercar though? No, I don't think ever BMW has ever made a good one. The only one they ever made was the M1 and Lamborghini did that. Um, and I think right now the whole supercar world is falling apart. I think Ferrari is falling apart. McLaren's falling apart. Um, no one knows what to make of these cars. They're now so fast that you, they're not enjoyable. Like A, the acceleration hurts and B, going to jail hurts even more. And you know, <laughs> zero to jail in three seconds is just not anyone's idea of a good time. 
Like, you know, what if sex lasted three tenths of a second? Well, <laughs> it, may, it may be for you, Horatio. But I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, like there's just there's no enjoyment in something that you can't ever wring out and you can't have yeah. fun with. And I think that's the problem with Agreed. four day pistas and McLaren 720s's and stuff like that. So I I really don't think BMW should. BMW is not a supercar company. Um, you know, McLaren is a supercar company. BMW is a 2002 company. Um, right. It's a three series company. Mercedes is an F class company, right? Audi is a, I don't even know, you know, architect, a, uh, you know, a car company that makes them look, <laughs> they make things for beautiful people who, you know, who, for, for people who appreciate beautiful things, right? That's what an Audi is. Every architect I know drives an Audi because they're sculpturally designed and they're well-crafted and they're nice to drive and they're wonderful at what they are. Um, but, you know, if, if you, if you boil down to BMW to what it is, it's, it's 2002, which is a very, very small, uh, very involving, capable sports sedan. Yeah. So right. that's my answer. So that, that's actually sort of leads me into my last question for you. And I hope it's not too long winded for you, but um, you actually recently talked about in the Carmudgeon show, the M8 doing zero to 60 in like two and a half seconds. <laughs> or something absurd. Yeah. When I drove that, I drove the M8 Grand Coupe, which is, you know, really, really fast as well. It's not as fast as the coupe, but it's still absurd. Um, I actually found it almost a bit boring because it's so fast and so capable that unless you're doing insane speeds, like way too fast for public roads, it's not, it just feels like nothing. What is your take on like how absurdly high performance cars have gotten to the point where they're so capable that they're just not really fun anymore? I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, I think the, the, the so I've, I've famously have that spreadsheet where I have comments on every car that I've ever driven. Um, and the M8, com it was not a competition and it was a convertible, but the, the comment I said was calling this thing, um, putting an M badge on this thing is the same thing like fortifying a bowl of, of, of sugary breakfast cereal and calling it health food. It's, <laughs> it's just not what, what M means to me. And M means two things, right? It could be motorsport, meaning these are going to be fast, like around a racetrack, or it could mean involvement. Right. And I, I want both out of an M car. I want something that's capable of a racetrack, but I, I prioritize involvement. And that is the least M car of any M car I've ever M'd. And <laughs> it is, it, uh, it's a b enormous Buick with rocket packs. Right. The back. right. It is so stupidly, unbelievably fast and yet completely boring. It's like yeah. the world's, I mean, look, a 747 is really fast. They do 700 <laughs> miles an hour. But it's not fun, um, and the the M8 is exactly the same way, and that would be a perfectly fine SL Mercedes because Mercedes never right. they don't promise <laughs> like <laughs> you know they're not like this is about they use the word dynamism too this yeah, is dynamism, dynamism. They, yeah. we all know better like, <laughs> girl shut up <laughs> like don't even um, so yeah I think we've gotten to a point where cars have gotten faster 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 and speed limits have not. In fact, in a lot of cases, average speeds have dropped. Um, and cops and society's tolerance for speeding has also dropped. Um, so now you're in a place where you're frustrated because your car is bored. Um, right. And when you have a car that's inherently capable of 200 plus miles an hour, it's like that I made it as if it wasn't limited. You, it's asleep at 90. Exactly. That's my, those are my exact thoughts driving. I was like, this car feels bored and because it's bored, I'm bored. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, and I don't want to pick on just BMW or the M8 because it's almost no. every fast car I drive is completely 
completely bored at, you know, holy totally bored. Any, right. any type and, of normal speed, yeah. And this is really kind of messed up of us to do this, right? This is the march of technology, and cars have gotten better and better and better as transportation devices, meaning they're quieter and smoother and faster and more robust and all this other stuff, uh, and safer. Uh, but at the same time, you know, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit nuts to fault them for it. But right. as you know, it used to be that cars were geared for their, for their maximum speed and their maximum speed was somewhere around 120 or 130 or 140 for fast cars. And so even in normal traffic, you could be conceivably cruising at three quarters of a car's top speed. And that in automatically meant you were going, the engine was going to be at three quarters of, or at least half of its output, meaning it's going to be revving a lot. Um, so you would have these, you know, these cars like an E30 M3 that's 4,000 RPM on the highway uh, at 70 miles an hour um, because it had to be. The only way that it was going to hit, you know, 130 miles an hour, 130 whatever it was, mile, 38 I think it was miles an hour was to be at its 7,000 RPM power peak and just do the math. And yeah. they didn't have 12 speed transmissions to do, <laughs> you know, for cruising. So these cars, you know, like if I, if you think about what an e, a 2002 is like at hundred miles an hour, oh my God, it's red right. line, right? It's top gear, 5,500, 6,000 RPM screaming. The windows are like being yanked out of the, off the seals. <laughs> like the car feels like it's going to explode and it's fun. And by, and the other the flip side of that is you will never accidentally find yourself doing hundred miles an hour. Um, yeah. in, a, in something like a 2002 or an E30, right? Yeah. You can accidentally find yourself doing 80 in an E30, but you right. can accidentally find yourself doing 140 in an M8. Oh, easy. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying, actually. You put your foot down to pass somebody and you're in way, way lose your license speed yeah. in just a couple of seconds. In a couple of seconds. And I just don't think like this is the, the German march of progress for faster, faster, more efficient, more efficient, more efficient is, has caused that. And it's definitely not BMW. It's the whole industry going in that direction right. um, as the cars get better and better. And they're trying to do things like, you know, inserting involvement. But if you build a car, like if you build a three series that's so isolated that you have to put active sound in it or you can't hear the engine at all, then you failed at building a three series. You've built a really good Mercedes C-Class, but you failed <laughs> at being a three series. Um, and this is what I said when F10 M5 came out with the, with the sound in it, the active sound. And I, <laughs> on the launch in Spain, went around back and I pulled the fuse for the amplifier and shut up the engine completely. <laughs> I, I had to agree with BMW's choice to put active sound in the, that F10 M5 because without it, you could not hear the engine at all. And the engineers told me in German that night at dinner, they're like, everyone was stalling the cars at traffic lights because they couldn't hear it. And I'm like, okay then you fail to make a proper five series, right? If I can't feel the engine or hear the engine or interact with it at all, and it's just disappeared, you've made a really, really good luxury sedan, but you've made a terrible sports sedan. And I think, you know, you guys are on the wrong side of that. And to, to go 180 degrees in the wrong direction and then try to put band-aids on it by, you know, piping fake sounds in and like there, BMW puts a vibration device on the steering column, which is just a piece of metal there to just vibrate. It's a resonant <laughs> thing. So when you hit it, it's like a, it's like a tuning fork, basically you hit it. So anything comes to the steering column, you get a vibration in your hands. And they did that to, to fool the journalists and customers into thinking they they have surface texture feel, but it's always, about that one. Is it, yeah. oh yeah, it started yeah, actually with a healthy I, IF30. I gotta ask it. On, on really? The hmm, it's yeah. So they, they basically tuned the steering column to vibrate 
and so you know, old in old days, you have steering feel is consistent of, of a lot of different things, and one of them is vibration through the, the column. So you can feel road texture that way. So you know, it's a it's a high frequency vibration, and so low frequency vibration would be things like a tire out of balance, or really low frequency feedback would be like a camber change where the wheel goes to the right and then a left as you you know, go on a camber. Mm -hmm. But the high frequency stuff was surface texture. So all of a sudden. You know, one of your front your front right tires on a painted strip, and the the amount of vibration in your hands goes down by half or goes away all of a sudden, and that's your subconscious cue that I know where that wheel is because I saw the white painted stripe, and all of a sudden the wheel just stopped vibrating. So right. it's one of the things that I love about you know about feedback, and they put this they tuned the steering column whether it's a it depends on what what model I guess, but some of them have a dampener built in, some have just a resonance resonant frequency that the, the the column excites with and the wheel excites with and they did that and i'm like it's always the same exact frequency every bump boom 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 and you know whatever it is it's always the same thing and that's fake and the idea that you should engineer a car too well and have to then go the other direction to give it back what um what it was supposed to be in the first place is just the most German thing in the world. <laughs> like, let's just get lost in the spreadsheet numbers and then like, oh shit, we're supposed to want to wind up over there. Let's get back there with Band-Aids on a bleeding bullet wound. Um, <laughs> and that kind of stuff is why the M8 is, can be an amazing luxury sedan, but a terrible M car. Or amazing luxury thing, but a terrible M car. Because it right. just, it was not designed, the current three series was not designed, none of current BMWs were designed with the things that we want out of them in mind they were designed by a bunch of old guys who want a luxury barge who were like well the audi's quieter and the mercedes rides better and so we're just going to keep chasing each other until they've engineered the same car you can't tell the difference between a three series and a c-class and an a4 anymore I mean, you can but you know the average person can't tell the difference they all have rack and pinion with the same uh, you know a zf steering rack and a zf 8 hp automatic and you know they all have a two-liter four-cylinder. They've all con convened on the same most efficient way of building a car, and it's all the same. And yeah. they do that because they're chasing each other, and they're not willing to say, you know, we're, we're a company that makes sports sedans, so we're going to make a sports sedan. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. Go, you know, if you want a luxury sedan, you're going to have to buy someone else's car. Yeah, um, it definitely seems like a copycat league a little bit. The the German <laughs> auto industry, yeah. And it seems sure. like they might all be chasing AMG at this moment, at this point, because it's all just huge amounts of V8 power and a lot of luxury. I mean, so. every time, it, like you can you can fault AMGs all you want, but every time I get an AMG, oh, I laugh. Oh yeah, um, they're, it's, they're hilarious. I mean, they're it's a, they what they nail correct is the theater, right? It no one cares that your X5 is perfectly neutral under power or goes to you know power on oversteer or whatever around a racetrack because no one's going to do that. What they care about is you get in the car and like you get into a, like a GLC, which is the little one with like X3 competitor <laughs> with, with the V8 and, in it. And it starts up and kids run screaming away from this, <laughs> this thing. The whole car vibrates at idle. Like you're like, did they forget to like to take the safety pucks out of the, out of the engine mounts? <laughs> like the rigid poly mounts in this thing. <laughs> and the whole car is shaking and you're like, this is crazy. And then you pull out into traffic and then <laughs> sending fireballs down the exhaust. And, and then as soon as you're cruising, it quiets down. They do such a good job of giving you the impression of import and, uh, performance 
without any of the drawbacks because then they ride smoothly and they're nice inside and they're comfortable. Whereas BMW is focused on, yeah, well, we are BMW, therefore this car has to be great at the limit. And then they're not as great. They're not as fun to drive in, in normal driving. And then when you're at the limit, you're like, well, this is amazing. This is great stuff, but wrong target because no one's going to notice it in, day, in daily use. They're just going to be like, I'm bored. Because so right. Right. actually, I like the M8 on track. I drove it on track. I was like, this thing's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. And then on the road, I was like, this is, it doesn't feel like anything. It's just, it's a Buick. It's private jet. Yeah. yeah Buick Motorworks. I mean, I, I, I jokingly say that all the time. And I, I'm sorry, you know, that I hurt people's feelings, both internally at BMW. And I'm, you know, I'm, I've, because I know you have the engineering might to do great things. You're just working with the wrong targets here. I don't care about isolation. I don't care about, you know, doesn't ride better than a Mercedes. And by the way, for the love of God, stop trying to fight each other for the number one best selling luxury brand in America. Because a luxury brand that sells 5 million cars a year isn't a luxury brand anymore. You want to yeah, sell 500,000 cars a year, make a Camry. It's worked wonderfully for Toyota. Um, <laughs> But you know, there. But then you got to make it reliable. Then you're playing a different game. Then it's got to be huge, and it's got to be roomy, and it's got to get 40 miles per gallon, and it's got to cost twenty four thousand dollars, and it's got to be dead nuts reliable. Never sees a shop last three hundred thousand miles without an oil change, right? So you you want to play that game? You play that game, and then I'll be fine. I'll judge you against a uh, you know a, a Camry. But when a five series with a downsized two liter turbo eight speed automatic. Valvetronic, Vanos, blah, 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 clutched alternator, stupid AGM battery, all the complexity that they put in this car can't match a V6 Camry for fuel economy <laughs> when it's half the size is just unacceptable. It's just completely unacceptable. Um, and so like, they just have to, they have to get their focus right. I think. Right. Um, Hopefully and, that's going to happen. I mean, they're, they're all in all this electrification now. So I think a lot of things will change over the next few years. I hope so. And electric cars can be know. great. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be a whole different ball game. I don't even know how that's going to look like. But um, I mean, yeah. drive them. Here's, my, here's, here's the thing. For anyone who's really, really scared about the electric future, um, it's, a scary th it's a scary thought, right? But go drive. Take, go to a BMW dealership. Go get an M340i and take it to your local Tesla showroom and get out of your M340 and go take a Tesla, Tesla Model 3 dual motor performance for a uh, test drive. And you will say, there's no way. I, I don't want to say there's no way. If you still prefer the BMW, I want to hear why. Because I just don't think that there's, a, there's, there's no contest. And yeah, sure, you lose the sound of that straight six, which, by the way, everything you're hearing, hearing in the car is fake anyway. <laughs> I told you, right? And, and the M340i is like amazing at the limit. Like that car, if you put an M3 badge on that car and put someone on, put me in a racetrack in it, I would say, yep, great. I mean, Jos van Oost, the team that did that car chassis-wise, nailed it. I think it's wonderful. And I've only driven the all-wheel drive, you know, M Sport, everything, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But... And then, and the Tesla in that situation is terrible. Like, <laughs> I just do not, do not want to be doing that. Tesla's drift mode is laughable. I mean, you know, they they get a lot of stuff right, and they're the king of the industry and the king of all media right now for a reason. Um, however, in normal driving, the 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 Model Three has better steering, and it's just overall feels a thousand pounds lighter than the BMW, and it's more interactive. And the fact that it's an electric car. And it's still more interaction and more interactive and more interesting and orders of magnitude faster and 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 
tells me that like the electric future is pretty pretty cool. We got a shot when the Porsches get it right, and when you know when the Germans get the full recipe right that that Tesla's not been able to manage yet of making a genuinely amazing car that happens to be electric. Um, we are uh, we're in for a, a cool ride. Um, I mean, I, like a lot of people laugh at me that I've been driving an i3 for the last six years. I mean, I still have an a one M. But I would say I drive the i3 about 90% of the time versus the you know 10% for 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 the 1M just because it it, it is not a good looking car for sure. Nope. But I love the way it drives. I mean, I love that too. I mean, electric. It's a good looking car, but it's it's such a fun car to drive. Once you go electric, I, I tell people this all the time. <laughs> that like that, I've seen plenty of exceptions on both sides of all of those rules. The one exception, the one rule that has not yet really had an exception is once you live with an electric car. You just don't go back. Um, there's just, there's, it's a philosophical change in the way you will think about your transportation. And it, they don't work for everyone. They're not yet mass market capable. They're not, you know, thousand mile road trip capable, blah, blah, blah. All this other stuff is uh, understood. But once you live with an EV and you can lay tire out of your driveway without warming the thing up, and you never have to do an oil change and you never have to go to a gas station and you never have to deal with any of the stuff like waiting for turbo lag, kicking like, you know, a kick down in an automatic. I get out of my Lotus. I have a supercharged Elise, factory supercharged Elise. Think the zero to 60 in 4.2 seconds. Um, and I get out of, get in it and I'm thinking, oh, so slow. <laughs> Compared to my e-golf, which is the zero to 60 in 8.4. I mean, it's just, you know, you don't go back. You don't go back. So. And that, I don't want to keep you too long. I think it was just great. I think we're going to have to break it down into two episodes, probably. I'm sorry. <laughs> People actually listen to it. Because I don't know. Do I actually like two episodes out of that. That'd be pretty good. But I, 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 look, I don't care. It, it, was, just, it was really good. Honestly, uh, I, I knew that it's going to be fun talking to you. So uh, you always I, deliver. Well, I am <laughs> glad that you guys think I delivered. Hopefully, the audience agrees. But no, I mean, look, no, thanks no, for having me. I'm sorry. You're so well respected, you know, in the car world. And I don't know if you get that feedback a lot, but I can tell you that that I see all the time. And and I've seen this even this week when I when I tell when I told people that you're gonna be on, everybody was excited. So, you know, you're always genuine and you always tell things the way they are. So I think that's why you've built a good name for yourself. So thank you. I really appreciate that. I have respect to you. Yeah. It's and it's so been really cool because I've been reading and watching your stuff for years and I'm you know, big fan. So it was really cool to have you on. Thank you, guys. I really yeah, appreciate so that. Hopefully, we we get to see each other soon. I don't know. Hopefully, uh, Ho listen. After it's not I'm, after this episode, I'm never going to be invited to another BMW <laughs> ever again. Um. <laughs> I think they're used to you. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're gonna they're kind of used to your things because I've seen you at the BMW events telling them, you know, things <laughs> where you are. So I'll give you a I'll give your your audience a big dark deep dark dirty secret. Sure. The guys at BMW, they know. They know. <laughs> I'm sure they know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. There are different opinions of every company, right? And I'm sure right. some people wanted to do it differently. So it's always interesting how the final decision gets gets made. But um, yeah, there yep. are always two sides to the story. I agree. Of course, of course. Um, sorry to have rambled on so long for some. No, of no, you did. Hour, did half an hour I appreciate piece. it. It was awesome, actually. Cool. And I Thank hope you're staying safe too. If you need anything from us ever, you know where to find us. What, you'll give me remdesivir if I get corona? <laughs> sure. We'll ship you some. Yeah. Awesome. Great. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> no, thank you, guys. You both right, stay safe. It was good talking to you. You too, guys. Take yeah, care. thank you. Bye.
See ya. Bye. Okay, so that was the end of part two with Jason Camisa. Um, it was really great having him on, so I want to say thank you again to Jason. And uh, if you want to check out anything that he's doing, any of his upcoming projects, just check out his Instagram, Jason Camisa, uh, at Jason Camisa, rather. So just, you know, check out his page to see what he's got going on. And uh, thank you for listening.